Hello and welcome to the Thriving Three Counties podcast with me, Dan Barker. Conversations with inspiring business people throughout the three counties of Herefordshire, Worcestershire and Gloucestershire. And now it's time for today's episode. I hope you enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to the Thriving Three Counties podcast. I'm Dan Barker and I'm here in the studio with today's guest. In many ways, he is Worcestershire business as he's so involved with the local business community. Amongst many other things, he's best known for starting hashtag Worcestershire Hour on Twitter. He also founded the annual Worcestershire Festival of Business exhibition, which will be returning for its seventh year this September. His company is the sales performance company, which he founded in 2012, working with clients on improving sales skills and profits. He also teaches Twitter for business, LinkedIn and blog writing courses online via Zoom. He is Stuart Allen. How are you doing, Stuart? I'm absolutely brilliant. Thank you for inviting me. (laughs) No, it's a pleasure. Thank you for coming in. I really appreciate it on this uh, bright, sunny Monday morning. Lovely day. It's rather nice, isn't it? (laughs) So uh, just before we get started, your website is thesalesperformance.co.uk. All one word. Yeah, excellent. So people can go there and uh, find out what you're all about. Yeah, absolutely. All LinkedIn. On the LinkedIn, uh, yeah. yeah. Okay, just look up, look up Stuart Allen, which is A double L E N. Correct. <laughs> there's yeah, actually excellent. there's over three hundred Stuart Allens on LinkedIn. So really, yeah. So uh, but with the I, same spelling. Yes. Oh right. Okay. Yeah, but I I, I have done a few experiments, and uh, uh, I've got people in different parts of the country to actually Google me. Right. <laughs> <laughs> can you can you just Google Stuart Allen? And of those three hundred, I'm I'm usually. Um, the top of the list when it comes up. Uh, so, okay, that's um, pretty good. And people often say to me, you know, what do you think that, you know, that is? Uh, and I can only put it down to my activity, I think, on on social media, LinkedIn mm-hmm. and Twitter especially. But yeah, uh, yeah. who knows? Yeah, you're pretty good on uh, on all that. We'll get to that, I think, because uh, hear your secrets and... Uh, <laughs> Give well my hints <laughs> Not your tips. secrets, but yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> some, some, some tips. Cool. So... Um, as I said in, in the intro, like it seems to me you kind of are Worcestershire business as far as from what I can see. You're kind of... Uh... Uh, yeah, uh, th- th- thanks, for, thanks for saying that. Um, I, I don't think I ever set out to, to, to be that. Um, I noticed that other parts of the country had got these dedicated Twitter hours. There was an Oxford hour, there was a Northeast hour, there was a London hour, mm-hmm. uh, and nobody was doing anything for Worcestershire. Right, uh, yeah. And I thought about you know, contacting Chamber of Commerce and perhaps suggesting they might like to do something or, you know, or the LEP or, um, uh, and I just thought, just do it yourself, you know. So (laughs) I literally had the idea, set up the Twitter account on the Wednesday, I think it was, got in touch with a few people that were already using Twitter uh, in the local area, Uh, told them what I was thinking of doing, you know, this Monday night, eight till nine, let's use this hashtag and, and, And everybody thought it was a, a good idea. You know, some people said, I can't, you know, I do yoga on a Monday night or I, I do this. Uh, but, um, you know, we held the first one on Bank Holiday Monday, 6th of May, 2013. Right, okay. Uh, and about 37 businesses took part. Right. We generated a few hundred tweets, um, but everybody agreed it was good fun and let's do it again next week. Right, um, And we've now been going nearly eight years. Wow. <laughs> and I've and I've I've yet to miss a Monday night. Really, in eight years, that's impressive. And one of those Monday nights was because, um, of course, Mondays often is a bank holiday, but we yeah, still yeah. run it. Still do it, yeah. And even a Christmas Day a few years ago was was a Monday. <laughs> so so we did it on Christmas Day, but we just said, look, let's just share sort of Christmas messages and what have you. Let's not, you know, let's not promote our businesses. Let's just share Christmas messages. That's impressive. But um, my my wife did point out that I hadn't been awake at eight o'clock on a Christmas Day. Um, for, for quite a number of years, so um, I did have to restrain, let's say that that year, to make sure that uh, that I, I was there. Um, okay, yeah, yeah. So yeah, so, so it's um, you know now we quite regularly get sort of uh, over four hundred uh, people taking part on a Monday night, right? Okay, um, and the hashtag itself lands uh, in in about five million unique Twitter timelines every right, month. Okay. Wow. So, you know, when you consider the population of Worcestershire is about 500,000. Yeah, that's pretty good. So it gives you the, you know. So, so it, it's sort of become, you know, a well-known sort of brand uh, in the area. Yeah. Uh, and, and what's great about it is, you know, it's all about keeping business local. That, that's mm. why we set it up. Right, okay. You know, so if you're looking for a, a new supplier, 
you know, wh- why buy it from 75 miles away and have it sort of trucked in or whatever? If you can find that locally, mm-hmm. there's all sorts of ben- benefits. You know, it keeps money in our local economy. Yeah, It yeah. supports local jobs. Uh, and also it cuts down on fuel use and all that sort of stuff. So, it's, yeah. you know, it, it makes sense sort of from an environmental perspective yeah. to, to buy things locally as well. Yeah. Uh, so, so that's what Worcestershire is all about. Worcestershire Hour is all about. Okay. Um, and then the festival of business came from that. Right. Pe- okay. People were joining Worcestershire Hour and going, you know, this is great. It's great to network on Twitter. Yeah. Um, but when can we meet up face to face? And uh, and I was trying to sort of, <laughs> you know, point out, you know, that we weren't trying to compete with the likes of BNI and the networking groups. You know, they do they do brilliant work in connecting people. It was a different type of networking. Mm-hmm. You know. Um, but, but so in the end I gave, you know, I gave in and I said, well, let's just do one event a year where we all come together, mm. uh, and, and do a more traditional business exhibition. Mm-hmm. So the festival of business, um, started in 2014, uh, and I've been running every year, uh, up until last year. when, of course, because of COVID-19, we, we were unable to do it, Yeah, uh, but we're fairly confident that, um, um, you know, we'll be fine for, for September this year. Mm-hmm. My biggest problem is, is sourcing a venue uh, oh, because right, sadly okay. the, the Chateau Impney has closed down permanently. Okay. Uh, and, has uh, it really? Yeah, right that. at the okay. start, right at the wow. start of, uh, of the lockdown, um, uh, it was announced that, that it was closing on a permanent oh, right. basis, not just temporarily. Oh, well, I didn't know that. Um, so, so, yeah. Um, oh, that's a shame. Loss of a, you know, an amazing facility for the, yeah, for the county, yeah. really. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Oh, well, um, I've got one suggestion, but it might be a little bit too on, on the, the edge of the, we'll talk afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> I, but, listen, uh, I'm happy to, to discuss any options at the yeah, moment. Yeah, no, I'm really got, struggling uh, to find, to find a suitable venue. I, I've got a really good one for you. Okay. <laughs> anyway. Um, so are, are you Worcestershire based born and bred or are I, you? I was, I was actually born in, in Birmingham. Okay. Um, Above my dad's wine shop, oh right, nice. um, which was <laughs> not far from the Birmingham City Football Ground. Right. So yeah, you know, I was I was born a Brummie, um, brought up in the Black Country. Right. Uh, so went to school in Warsaw, mm-hmm. uh, in the West Midlands, um, and then um, due to work, uh, relocated to Worcestershire, uh, crikey, thirty years ago. Okay. So, right, yeah. you know, I've been, been, in, been in the then. county, different parts <laughs> of the county. I've lived in Evesham. Uh, I've lived in Worcester itself. Uh, yeah. I'm now in Kidderminster. So uh, I've, I've been in, in the county and thereabouts for, for about 30 years now. And your Bromley accent's worn off a bit. Yeah. I, <laughs> people sort of often say, you don't sound like a Brummie. And, <laughs> uh, and I think I do sometimes when I'm speaking to, to my brother, um, who's still got a bit of an accent, perhaps more of a Midlands yeah, yeah. accent than a, than a Brummie accent. But, um, you know, I, I, I do feel in business there are certain accents that can be, be um, negative uh, in terms of career <laughs> progression and success. Right. Uh, and I think Birmingham is probably high up on that list of, right, okay. of accents. So. Uh, so yeah, I think um, uh, I, I probably made an attempt fairly early on to to, to not sound like a brummy, <laughs> but, but also um, I'm one of those people that that um, you know if I go on holiday, you know, somewhere for a couple of weeks, I come back talking. You know, if I go to I went to America for two weeks, came back talking like an American. So, <laughs> so so I think it's you know over the years I've just picked up a little bit of everything and now got the sort of neutral neutral accent yeah 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 some people are like that aren't they they'll pick up an accent like like that kind of thing yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay so um have you always been self-employed or did you did you how did you start your career yeah so i, I think for me the, the the influence um for self-employment came from a father uh, who was um an antique dealer for many years so uh Growing up for me was uh, weekends could be going to antiques fairs and we, okay, would, right. we would camp over. Uh, and, and obviously, you know, I'd have pocket money and I'd be able to sort of go off and search the stalls and sort of, you know, yeah. I'd, I'd buy toys, you know, fire, little <laughs> fire engines or things that I could find, you know, play with them for, uh, you know, maybe 15, 20 minutes, get bored yeah. uh, and then put a price t- ticket on it and stick it oh, on my okay. dad's stall and then sell it for more than I'd paid for it. Oh, okay. So I started to understand from an, a, you know, an early, um, a fairly early age that, 
hey, you can make money doing this, you know, buy something cheap, sell it to somebody and make a profit. So I'd always had that sort of at the back of my mind. But, um, uh, but, you know, when I left school, um, I'd planned to go to uh, college, uh, get A-levels, go to university. And my aim was to become a physiotherapist. Right. That, that was sort of, you know, if people said to me, what are you going to do when you grow up? I'm going to be a physiotherapist. Um, And then I was, I was sat in a a biology lecture, A-level biology lecture uh, at Sutton Coldfield College one day. Uh, I think I'd only been there about three or four weeks. And I just thought, <laughs> I started calculating how, how long I'd got to do A-levels and then how long uni was going to be. And then, you know, how long I'd have to work in the NHS before I could start doing any sort of real sort of, um, uh, you know, proper professional physiotherapy, maybe even working for a football club or something like yeah, that. Yeah. And I think I worked out I was going to be like 30, 32 before <laughs> I was there. And I just, I just waited till the break and I, and I got on the bus and went home really? and never went Quick back. Yeah, never went back. Uh, and I, I, I got a job um, working in newspaper advertising. Right. So I was literally selling um, advertisements in local newspapers at, at sort of, you know, eight, 18 years of age. Yeah. Uh, and the only reason that I took the job was because it came with a company car. Right. <laughs> you know, I passed my test, couldn't afford a car. Um, and I spotted a job that came with a car. <laughs> so, so yeah, that was the only reason I entered sales was because it, it frozen, came with it? a car. <laughs> uh, but, but, you know, I, I, I was obviously pretty good at it. Um, yeah. uh, and then the company that I worked for got taken over by the Birmingham Post and Mail. So pretty soon I was working on the uh, Birmingham Evening Mail right, uh, okay. and found myself working on the motoring section, which was where the money was at. Right, so okay. I had high targets and a lot of pressure, but, uh, but again, sort of excelled uh, at that, did really, really well, um, and then got tempted. I mean, you have to remember, this is like the 1980s. It was the time of the yuppie, and everybody <laughs> wanted to earn lots of money and drive flash cars, and, and I'll be yeah. quite honest with you, I was the same. Yeah, yeah. So I got involved in financial services. Right, okay. Uh, and in my early 20s, um, I was recruiting, training, organizing and motivating teams of self-employed sales agents that I'd recruited. Okay. And then the way it would work is obviously they went out and sold policies and what have you. And I would earn a commission based Uh, on, uh, on what they were doing. Okay. Uh, So uh, I did that for a a number of years uh, and did really well. Um, You know, I think I was 25, I had a four bedroomed house. I had a Jaguar XJS on the drive. (laughs) Um, I had a, Peugeot 309 GTI brand new that I just bought on the drive. It was, it, Classic, yeah. it, it was, it was just, I mean, I wish I'd have kept that now. I looked yeah, after yeah, it and yeah, the XJS to be honest. <laughs> but you know, you don't, you just don't understand, you know, at, at that age, um, the, the, the value of, of money. And when, when it comes at you that quickly, mm-hmm. you know, I, I made stupid errors and, and, and oh, things. Yeah. And then of course the crash at the um, end of the eighties, mm-hmm. um, was devastating. Yeah, um, yeah. Um, so, you know, literally lost my house, lost my cars, you yeah. know, lost everything. Wow. Um, escaped with um, uh, just enough money to, to buy a small van. Um, what, 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 why did you sort of lose your house and everything at that stage? Because it was, um, it was easy to borrow money. Okay, and right. the more money you you earned, the more money people would lend you. Okay, so once the once the income wasn't there, you just simply it, couldn't afford the repayments. Exactly. Yeah. So once once the recession hit, uh, and also the Financial Services Act came in, which changed the way that uh, financial services companies could operate. Mm-hmm. Um, I used to be able to bring guys into the business, give them two weeks of training. And they could go out and talk to <laughs> talk to people about it. I mean, right. you know, terrible when you think about it. And and quite yeah. rightly, the Financial Services Act came in. Yeah. But it did mean that you know, if you're self-employed and you've got to do so many months of training, you know, you can't recruit somebody and say you're not going to earn any money for six months. Yeah. Nobody's yeah. going to do that. Yeah. So uh, so yeah, uh, as soon as the recruitment stopped, um, and you, you you know, I was hemorrhaging staff. I'd, I'd got up to a team of 150 agents at one point. Right. Uh, based in Gloucester. I had okay. offices at Gloucester Docks. Yeah. Uh, and then we opened, of all places, an office in Liverpool as right. well. Okay. So for a number <laughs> of years, all I did was drive my XJS up and down the motorway between Gloucester and, and in Liverpool. The 80s, what, with your in, big brick mobile yeah, phone. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, so, um, so yeah, uh, you know, I was hemorrhaging people at the rate of sort of 20, 20 a week. Um, right, yeah, and, yeah. and income just, just went from, you know, lots, good, to, nothing. lots to nothing almost <laughs> overnight. So, right. you know, when you can't pay your mortgage and, and, and you can't pay your finance on your cars, then they disappear. Mm. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. So, you know, that was a, a that, that was the first time, uh, in my life. I, I really think about it that, that, that I really felt I'd failed at something. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think because I'd had such extreme highs, you know, that really, really hit my heart. Mm. Uh, and, um, you know, I won't go into too many details, but, but it, it, it took me, it took me a while to sort of just refocus my life and, and reevaluate my yeah. purpose. Right, uh, yeah. And, uh, you know, but, but I, you know, I, I managed to buy a van uh, and started working with my dad, who was still right. about in those days, and, and we started buying and selling uh, antiques and, and, okay. and what have you. Where, and where was, did you live? I, I was in Wirepiddle at that at that point, uh, right, okay. um, uh, but I was having to drive up to Walsall. But I mean, when you lost your house and things, did that, you? Uh, yeah, you went and rented somewhere. Or? I, I lived with friends for right, a bit, okay. Uh, okay. And, then, and then managed to to find a. Uh, I was really lucky, managed to find a rented property, uh, which was owned by a Quaker family. Right, okay. Uh, and it was their sort of holiday home. Uh, and they just wanted somebody almost as a caretaker. Yeah. So I had the run of the house uh, most of the time. Yeah. But nice. then obviously they would sort of come and stay. Uh, okay. So, I uh, you know, so that, that was but perfect. That, that kind of, um, that time when you, you know, you lost your house, you lost your car, you know, there's a while ago. And it's easy to say it quickly, but like pe- that's what people are kind of afraid of, isn't it? And you've been through it and done it and learnt from it and come out the other side. Yeah, and I, I think if we think about recent events, you know, the events of the last year, you know, there are people that have actually gone through that exact same experience very, mm. very recently mm. uh, and businesses that have closed. I mean, COVID-19 has, has been, you know, it's been tragic in many ways, but it, it's impacted some people incredibly and some people have actually done quite well through it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and I think that's part of the, 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 the for me, the, the horrible thing about it is it's not an equal thing. It's affected people in different ways. Mm, mm. Um, but yeah, I, I think that lesson, Dan, for, for me was, was one that, that it, it changed my view of things. Um, and, uh, and, you know, even in business, um, I've always been a lot more cautious when it's come to making financial decisions in terms okay. of um, expanding the business or, you know, taking on business loans. Mm-hmm. I've always preferred to grow a business organically out of profits that have been made mm-hmm. rather than sort of, you know, go for loans and things like that, yeah, yeah. Which, which may well have hold, you know, held me back in, in future businesses in some cases, uh, but in others, you know, you never know what's around the corner. Yeah, yeah, and and if you've not taken on debt, then you haven't got anything to pay back. So yeah, you know. Yeah. But then that, that antiques business that I started with my dad, um, what happened was um, lots of the local antique dealers uh, in the Cotswolds and and sort of the Worcestershire area was when I was working um, didn't have vans. They you know all had Volvos and things and roof right. <laughs> So I'd, I'd get paid to sort of move stuff for them. Okay, um, and after sort of three or four months, I was making more money moving antiques than I was actually dealing in antiques. Right, and of yeah. course, if you deal in antiques, you have to outlay the money on stock, which, yeah, yeah, and you sure. don't always make the right decisions. <laughs> so um, sadly, I, I, I had to say to my dad, look, I don't want to deal anymore. I'm just going to set up um, a, a light haulage business specializing in antiques and fine art. Right, okay. uh, and, and that's what I did. I built up uh, a business uh, over a number of years um, and would regularly be taking um, antiques and fine art and new cabinet-made furniture as well. Uh, the console has got a reputation for uh, for fine cabinet-making uh, right. uh, skills. Uh, so I would load the van up, um, drive down to London, uh, where a lot of this would do it, and then some days I'd actually get work within London to move right, things yeah. around London and then drive nice. back. And if I could get a backload as well, Okay. Then, yeah, you know, yeah. <laughs> so so that 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 went really really well for for a few years, but you know, like all these things, I I tend to get a bit bored, and right. and it was okay. very physical work. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and how, how old were you at that stage? So I'm sort of closing on thirty now. Yeah. Okay. okay. You know, so uh, it was very physical work, um, 
and uh, and and long hours. You know, I was getting mm. up at four most mornings and oh. things like that. So yeah, so so I, I decided to to let that go. Uh, sold the business to a guy that worked for me, literally for the value of the the vans that we had. Right. So um, and went off and got a job. Did you? Yeah, I went oh. off and got a job, and that was the first time. So I'm now 30, and it's the first time I'd actually had a job that had a computer on the <laughs> desk in front of me. Uh, so, um, so, so that was a bit of a shock. I was going to say it must have been a strange, yeah, first day kind of coming in and yeah, sitting down at your computer well, working for someone. Sat at the wheel of a of a large van for, for for years, and then suddenly sitting at a desk and being static and and, yeah, and working yeah. on a computer. But it was back in advertising. Um, and, uh, I, I did that for, uh, a year, um, and then, uh, got a job working for a training company based in Worcester, okay. uh, that specialized in computer training right? and, uh, and, and moved there, uh, and then spent sort of two stints with that, that company. Uh, I did three years, grass was always greener, jumped ship to a big corporate, Hated that for a year, right? And then went back to uh, to to the other company for for another three years. So, you know, I was always like to say that most companies that I've worked for, you know, you never burn. It's one of the things I teach people: never burn your bridges. You know, I always yeah, try yeah. to leave on good terms, yeah, because you never know when you, you might want to go back, or they yeah. might want you back. So, yeah, uh, so you know, so so that sort of got me back into the corporate world, uh, slightly sort of businessy world. Uh, and I did that for um, sort of up then till sort of the millennium, sort of 2000 mm -hmm. time. Yeah. Um, and I'd sort of got enough money in the bank to think about starting my own business again. Right, okay. Um, and I, I started a, a dot-com business, which right. were, you know, <laughs> uh, were all the rage at that time. Um, I started a business called autoidentity.com. Right, and I was buying and selling private registrations, car number, you know, car number plates. Yeah, and it was at the time when the DVLA weren't very good at at letting people know that you could buy them direct from the DVLA. Right. Okay. So um, <laughs> I would buy them from the DVLA and then advertise them on eBay. Right. Okay. And you know, found that I could buy plates for two hundred and fifty and sell them for five hundred quid. Right. <laughs> so I set up a website, built my own website, and. Um, uh, and within a year, uh, I was an eBay power seller. So I, I, I think to be a power seller at that time, you had to be selling 5,000 quid worth a month, something right, like that. Right, okay, okay. So, and this was from a desk in the corner of my lounge. <laughs> you know, I had a wow. credit, credit card machine, yeah, yeah. Um, literally would take phone calls on weekends in the evenings, uh, just seen your advert, uh, you know, or I've just done it on your website. Can I, you know, can I do this? Can I do that? I want to buy this. Um, and... Um, uh, and and again, this was one of the things where uh, being sort of cautious and and whatever, nobody was doing a a national auction of number plates apart from the DVLA, right. and the DVLA would only auction brand new number plates, ones that had never been issued before. There's all sorts of legalities about number plates. If um, let's say um, uh, somebody, a famous murderer, ha was known to have this car that had this number plate on. Mm. If the DVLA had reclaimed that number yeah. and then sold it, yeah. and then somebody saw that car, thought it was that person, and then attacked them because of the history uh -huh. of, of that. Yeah, yeah. So, so DVLA's policy was we, we will never sell a number uh, which yeah. isn't brand new. Makes sense, so, yeah. So I saw a gap in the market for somebody that, that could sell used number plates, if you like, older number yeah. plates. <laughs> and by this time, lots of people had bought numbers from the DVLA, but had no way of selling them through an auction. They could sell them privately. Right. Okay. You know? um, so I set up um, uh, a business, um, which was, um, I think called it Auto Identity Registration Auctions Limited, <laughs> and, uh, and ran the first couple at um, Six Ways at the rugby club. Uh, and then okay, we, like in person, yeah, in person auctions, yeah, events, yeah, yeah okay. absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I was advertising in the Sunday Telegraph, uh, yeah. which had a big motoring section, and um, and so we did two events at um, Six Ways, and then I moved it up to um, the Motorcycle Museum at the NEC, just right, to sort okay. of be a little bit more central. Yeah, um, but but that 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 sort of um, unfortunately didn't work. Oh right, uh, and what it, was that? I think the thing is everybody that had a number plate of a certain 
you know, ilk assumed it to have a value of what they perceived that value to be. Oh, I see. Okay. Uh, and, and unfortunately, the market wasn't as strong as, mm. you know, things are only worth what people are willing to pay for them. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, just because you've paid £5,000 for something doesn't actually mean it's worth £5,000. Yeah. <laughs> it means it was worth £5,000 to you at the time, you know. Yeah, yeah. So, so, yeah, in long story short, I ran a few of those. It, it ate up all of the, um, the cash reserves that I'd built up over the course of running the other business. And found myself in a situation where I'd still got kids at home, still had a mortgage to pay and needed money. Right. Okay. Uh, so I had to go and get a job again. Right. Okay. And, okay. Uh, and I ended up with a, a sales training business in Cheltenham. Mm-hmm. And um, my job was to get in touch with sales directors, talk to them about challenges in their sales teams, and then design training programs that would make them better at what they did. The only thing I didn't do was actually do the sales training. Right. Okay. So I was selling it, I was uh, organizing it and designing it, but I wasn't doing the sales training. But one of the things that I used to like to do, we had a training suite that had uh, videos in it. Um, so the people being trained could actually be viewed being trained. Okay. They, they knew All they right. were being videoed. They understood, you know, yeah, it wasn't, yeah. you know, it wasn't anything <laughs> untoward. So I always used to invite the sales directors down to actually watch the guys being trained. Okay. So that allowed me to get to know these people really well, understand, mm-hmm. you know, the mind of a sales director in sort of fairly big companies. But it also allowed me to observe the actual trainers, okay. uh, some of which were better than others. Yeah. But I soon realized that I could do that bit as well. So after uh, a few years, uh, I left that business, went to work for another um, big training company, one of the biggest training companies in the UK, uh, and worked there for a few years, built up my cash reserves again, obviously having a regular salary, paying the mortgage, feeding the kids, all that sort of stuff. (laughs) Um, But then um, that company, that big uh, national training company, um, had a restructure. And I'd, I'd engineered a role which was doing training internally so I wasn't selling for them anymore. I was doing internal training for their salespeople. Okay. And um, the company hit a bit of a, a, a rocky patch and decided that they needed to make me redundant. Right. Um, so, you know, you get that sort of, that dread if you're, if you're in business that you have to make somebody redundant. Uh, and they told me, and I went, that's brilliant. <laughs> That's brilliant. And they went, what do you mean? I said, well, I hadn't actually told you yet, but I was about to leave to set up my own sales training business. And literally the company that made me redundant became my first client. Oh, really? Um, and I wrote the first ever UK um, sales apprenticeship for the new bond apprenticeship scheme. So I wrote that and then delivered it for them. Right. And, you know, I think I calculated after about, 12 months, they were actually paying me more than, than, than they were paying me when I was employed uh, for working a fraction of the time. Excellent. So, you know, I always say to people, redundancy doesn't have to be a bad thing. Redundancy, yeah, yeah. many a great business has been born out of adversity. Yeah, yeah, you know, absolutely. Businesses yeah. are never born through apathy, you know, mm. but often born out of adversity. So that's, you know, that's where the sales performance company limited came from. Okay. Uh, and I've been operating for, um, close on nine years now. Okay. And, um, and yeah, I've worked with the likes of Microsoft, IBM, you know, real big corporate companies. Right. Um, and then I've, I've trained locally for, um, war stories for the, the rugby club on the commercial side, mm-hmm. lots of local businesses. Um, and, and my passion really is for smaller businesses. Okay. You know, yeah, and, yeah. and um, you know, hence sort of setting up Worcestershire uh, and, and, you know, promoting, promoting local business. So, you okay. know, what that, sort of size businesses you, you, um, you like working with the most? To, I'm quite happily working with, with startups, people right, that yeah. maybe, the, the thing with business is you, go into, you don't go into business very often to be a salesperson. Yeah. You go into business because you're a f- photographer, videographer, <laughs> yeah. or, or, or whatever. Yeah. Um, but but in in order to survive, you have to find customers. Yeah. So uh, you know, selling for non-sales people is something that I really enjoy because okay. the, the the thing that that's changed more than anything, Dan, is this. You know, back in the 1980s, what I was teaching my financial services guys, you know, pretty much everything that I taught them, 
you have to do the opposite today. Right. (laughs) So I often joke about the fact that, you know, I now make a living telling people not to do the things that I used to teach people (laughs) to do back in the 80s. So Just because people's sort of um, consciousness has changed a bit in terms of when they're being sold to and that sort of thing? Yeah, it's it's the internet. You know, as soon as the internet came along, um, you know, back in the 80s and 90s, you could say things you know, as a salesperson, and the customer would have no way of fact checking. Okay, yeah, you know, gotcha. So, you know, that's where reputation got that, you know, salespeople will say, say anything to get the sale, yeah, you know, and right, they could get away okay. with it. Yeah. Now you can't get away with it. You know, yeah. I, I've, I've been in meetings and I've said things and, you know, you know the customer's tapped away on the keyboard <laughs> or picked up their iPhone and they're, you know, and, and they're checking it. Yeah, yeah. And, and the moment that you're proven to have lied about something, yeah. then you may as well pack your bag and get yeah. out of there. Yeah. So I love what the internet has done for selling, for the profession of selling, because it has professionalized it. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know, it, you, you now need um, to, to, to have a whole different sort of approach and a mindset for selling. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, the words now that, that, that I sort of attribute to, to great salespeople is, you know, it's about synergy, it's about trust, it's about collaboration. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also it's about being more than just somebody that sells what you do. You've almost got to be a business consultant. Okay. You know, yeah, so. Yeah. Um, give, some, give some value to them as you're talking to them. A- absolutely. You've got, you've got to be able to. You know, whatever you sell to somebody is going to have a knock-on impact in other parts of their business. Mm-hmm. And if you don't know what that might be, then the customer might not buy because they do know what that impact might be. Yeah, yeah. So okay. you know, you've got okay. to you've got to understand business in a, a wider sense. So uh, you know, so so that that is something that um, you, you know is, is is really fascinating. The 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 way that sales has changed and the speed at which it's at which it's changed has, mm. has just sort of gone exponentially over the last <laughs> yeah. few years, you know, yeah. pretty much I say to people, if, if you were on a sales training course, even five, 10 years ago, right. You probably want to forget everything you learned. Right. Okay. Well, yeah, that, it's that, literally, that's, it's, okay. it, it's changed that much. Okay. Well, um, uh, what, what's been the sort of, I mean, is, is that, that the kind of trust and everything that you're talking about or is this, what, what's been the sort of big change in the, the well, last? I, I think the big years? change is when I started the sales performance company, the moment that you advertise a phone number as a business, you used to get bombarded with phone calls. Yeah. People trying to sell you everything, you know, yeah. recruitment, stationery, you know, you name it. The calls were coming in thick and fast. Now, for me as a sales trainer, that was great because if they were rubbish calls, <laughs> I'd go, who's your manager? You know, that's a, that's a potential sales lead. Um, but, but literally over eight or nine years, I've gone from getting on that phone, you know, probably 10 12, even 15 calls on average a day trying to sell me stuff. Right. Now, if I get two cold calls on my mobile phone, you know, my main company one a month, yeah. that's as many as I get. Right, okay. So, okay. And, you know, we've gone from 10, 15 a day. Now, what's replaced that? What's replaced that is uh, email. Mm-hmm. Everybody, you know, we, we get thousands of emails on a weekly basis from people mm-hmm. trying to sell us stuff. We get LinkedIn bombarded with direct messages yeah. and stuff through LinkedIn. <laughs> we get Twitter direct messages. We get Facebook. Salespeople are using lots of different sort of ways to try and get through to customers, but they've stopped picking up the phone. Right. Okay. Now, you know, what I'm now teaching my customers to do is to have the courage and the conviction to pick up the phone again yeah. because people are getting fewer calls. Therefore, they're more likely to answer and listen, you know, when I get one now, it's almost like, oh, wow, okay, I've got a sales call. <laughs> um, and and the, the thing is, you've got to do it in the right way. Yeah. You yeah. know, you have got to do it in the right way. So one of the things that I teach people to do is to think about if you t- were to receive a call yourself, mm. under what circumstances would you be happy to receive that call? Okay. And then we work out how they can make a call that meets their personal guidelines. So okay. then I'm not asking yeah. people to do something that they wouldn't have, be happy to receive themselves. Okay. And that would be something like phoning up and offering something or. It's, it's, it's about, first of all, making sure that you've done your homework so, okay, that, so yeah. that the call in, in the first place has, has a, um, has, has a, an immediate, um, 
uh, sort of connection. You know, the, mm. the, the person receiving the call will understand why you have called them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in, in the, you know, even 10 years ago, people would just have a list of people to call. They would, you know, half the time they wouldn't even know what that business did. Yeah. They would just ring up and they would have a script and they mm-hmm. would just make call after call after call. And yet they're wasting their time and they're wasting the customer's time. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, one of the things you have to do is respect people's time. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, when you ring up and you introduce yourself, you know, one of the things we taught people to do in the eighties is never ask them if they've got time to talk. Right. Okay. You know, and that's one of the things that's gone like, you have to ask people if they've got time to talk. Yeah. And yes, you're giving them a perfect opportunity to say, no, I haven't go away, but you have to live with that. Yeah. Okay. You're not wasting your time then. No, but you know, if you, if you do it the right way and you, you have a product or a service or both that you know could potentially help that person and that business. You know, that is a legitimate business activity. Picking the phone up and actually calling that business mm, is 100% mm. legitimate. Yeah, you know, People yeah. shouldn't be ashamed of doing that. Yeah. Um, some of my best ever clients in the past came from cold calls. Right, okay. But now if you, you, know, if you talk to people about cold calling, they're, oh, no, ter- terrible thing, you know, should be banned. Right. Yeah. But, yeah. Yeah. You know, sometimes we, we, you know, we don't know about things that could help our businesses yeah, until somebody tells yeah. us about it. Yeah. That's very true. Yeah. Cause uh, do, do you know Seth Godin? Do you, do you, yes. Yeah. He talks about that, I think, doesn't he, in terms from a marketing perspective? Yeah. Saying that, you know, good marketing is actually a, a, a generous act because you're informing people of something that can help them. I, I guess that's what you're saying. Absolutely. So, before I even start to teach people about how to sell, the first thing I always talk about is how do people buy? Okay. And, and you have to understand the buying process and, and buyer psychology and, and then make sure that whatever sales process that, that you have for your business is perfectly aligned with how your buyers buy. Okay. And yeah. over the years, I've been into lots of businesses where they've, they've all got a sales process. This is our sales process, what we do. Yeah. And, and I look at it and, and I'll sort of say to them, that's great. What's your customer's buying process? And they look at me like I've gone mad. You know, <laughs> what, what do you mean? You know, you know, selling used to be something that you did to people. Yeah, yeah, you took yeah. them on a journey. <laughs> you, know, you took them yeah. on your process. Now it's not. It's the total opposite. Yeah. To be successful in sales you have to support the customer's buying journey. Yeah, yeah. And that's the big psychological sh- shift that, that, that most people okay. in business need to make. Get into flow with them sort of thing and the way they work yeah. rather than trying to put something down onto them. Yeah. Kind of thing. Yeah. Okay. And, and, and the first part of that buying journey is we're happy. It's called changes in, over time. You know, we're happy in our, our business. Everything's going well. Yeah. Um, and the next stage is recognize need. You know, something triggers a recognition of need that okay. we need to change supplier. Um, you know, a piece of machinery breaks, we need to replace it. Mm-hmm. Um, equipment's getting old, needs to be updated. Mm-hmm. So in our businesses, we get triggers that recognize need. Now, until we're in recognize need, we're not really actively looking to source something. Mm-hmm. So the whole idea of marketing, you know, uh, you talked about Seth Godin and, and, and people like that. Marketing is designed to trigger people from happy in their own little world to I recognize a need. Okay, yeah? okay. Good salespeople do exactly the same thing. Okay. They talk to businesses and they say, you know, are you aware that you could be doing this, that you could mm. be getting that? Mm. Um, no, I wasn't. <laughs> you know, uh, so you've now made them aware and, and you're trying to trigger that recognition of need. Yet, okay. you know, that, that would benefit my business. Okay. Yeah. I was going to ask you, like, do you see, uh, is there a line anymore between sales and marketing or is it kind of, kind of, it sounds to me like what you're saying is sales is a bit more proactive maybe and marketing is a bit more passive. Good, good, good selling is proactive. Um, you know, marketing is, is, is very much trying to get people to, to, to act, phone a number, visit a website. Um, mm. So then you, you then relying upon your website to do your selling for you yeah. and all those, those are things. I mean, that's, you know, moving on sort of from the sales side into social media, which obviously is a big mm. part of what I do these days as yeah. well. Um, 
there are two ways of using social media. One is, is to take traditional marketing methods. You know, um, traditionally, if you wanted to get a, um, a message out there, you might create a leaflet. Yeah. So you get the artwork done, you take it to a printer's, you have it printed, and then you either give it to a local newspaper distributor or you go around shoving it through people's letterboxes. Yeah, yeah. You know, traditional marketing. Modern marketing is just to create that flyer and then post it on social media, stick it on Facebook, whatever it is. Mm. But you're still relying upon the message that's on that image to mm. do your selling for you. Mm -hmm. So that is social media marketing. What I do with social media is... Um, what's termed as social selling. Mm -hmm. You're sharing hints, tips, ideas, thoughts, and you're trying to encourage conversation uh, mm -hmm. or you're trying to trigger reaction from people. Um, so that, that might then lead to an exchange of direct messages that might mm -hmm. then lead to a phone call, which then mm -hmm. leads to a meeting, which then leads to a proposal and, and, and a potential new client. Yeah. So it's using social media in a different way alongside marketing. Mm -hmm. um, but again, it's more proactive. Um, it's, it's real um, because, uh, you know, it can demonstrate empathy. Mm -hmm. uh, so, so for me, social media is something that I only really do live. Mm -hmm. So if I'm tweeting, I'm there to respond. Yeah, you know, okay. too many businesses will, will put tweets <laughs> out there. It all out. Yeah, it's yeah. all scheduled. And then when people reply, you know, there's no response. Yeah. And yeah. then people realize, oh, it's just a scheduled tweet or it's just a you marketing like thing. Done. <laughs> yeah. So you've got to learn as a business. Um, it is okay to automate some of your social media marketing messages, but you have to do it in a way that, that the person reading that can clearly see that you're not trying to engage them in conversation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What, okay. You know, stuff I put out quite often will try and engage people in conversation. Okay. And, that, and that's the big difference. But if you do yeah. that, obviously you've got to be there to to listen and respond. Yeah. So, so, so is there a line between sales and marketing then, or is it? I was trying to avoid your question, Dan. That's what I was doing. Um, you know, going back years ago, the, the sales and marketing director would be a very common job title. Uh -huh. Yeah. Nowadays, you rarely see a sales and marketing director. You either have a marketing director and you have a sales director. They're yeah. two very different disciplines. Okay. When it comes to you know, bigger businesses, Yeah. you know, small businesses, we're, we're everything. We're, <laughs> we're our marketing director, we're our sales director, we're, you know, director of op operations, we're, we're everything. Yeah. Uh, but in bigger businesses, yeah, it's, they're, they're, they're very, uh, very different disciplines. And, and there's always traction, um, sort of uh, tension between the two. Okay. Um, you know, yeah. if, business, if business is going well, the marketing department will always claim that it's them that is causing <laughs> that. And the sales team will always claim that it is them um, uh, that, that are causing it. Yeah. So, um, you know, that, that's, that's just one of the challenges. So I think to answer your question is, in a smaller business, you have to understand both disciplines and to be able to, dis to deliver both disciplines. Um, but uh, in a larger business, you know, as you get bigger uh, and you're expanding your business, then yeah. And you can even argue now, that there's probably digital marketing could probably be a separate discipline to other forms of marketing. Right. Okay. So you might have a, have a branding team mm. that does all of your artwork and stuff like that. But then you have a dedicated, you know, social media, digital type of marketing. But they've um, all got to be pretty closely absolutely. aligned, I and suppose. That, and that's the biggest challenge in business is how do, how do you sort of keep everybody working together as you grow? Yeah, you know? yeah. Yeah. Okay. I mean, having had sort of, you know, businesses that have employed people these days, that's my biggest nightmare, you know, right. absolutely. You know, I'm, I'm in that fortunate position now that, that, uh, I'm happy, you know, working by myself. Everybody assumes, uh, or a lot of people assume, um, that, that everybody's trying to grow, uh, you know, a million dollar business. And, and the yeah. simple reality in the UK is there are literally millions of businesses that are owner operated businesses, one man bands that are happy, um, uh, you know, have almost created a, a, a lifestyle business. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they're not looking to become a million mm -hmm. pound business. Mm -hmm. they're, just, they're just happy to, um, to, to almost sort of do the same sort of revenue every year. And as long as it's sort of meeting their financial requirements, mm -hmm. they're happy. They don't want the stress. They don't want all of, mm -hmm. the, um, uh, all of the paperwork that goes with, um, with having staff. Yeah, uh, yeah. And all of the legislation that goes along with that. A lot of people don't want premises even, you yeah, know, and again yeah. with COVID, everybody's yeah. working from home. <laughs> when, when we downsized a few years ago, um, I lost my office in the house. It was one of the spare bedrooms. 
Uh, so I, I built uh, an office at the bottom of the garden mm-hmm. nice. uh, myself uh, as a bit of a project. <laughs> and, and, and that, you know, I didn't realize at the time, but that was an absolute brilliant move to do yeah, because yeah. that's allowed me to have a, uh, an office from home. It's been, you know, I've been able to keep my business running using Zoom and Microsoft Teams and things like that. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, I've been one of, one of the lucky ones, really. Something, something about the sort of, uh, you know, businesses not growing and everything, but I've thought about this quite a lot and they still need to adapt though, don't they? They still need to be changing even if they're not growing. Cause I've, I've, I'm probably one of those that thinks, yeah, you probably should be growing because that feels like probably what I want to do and the natural thing to do, but you can't stagnate though, can you? No, absolutely not. Um, and I think that's the key thing, you know, everybody is different and, and everybody is in business for different reasons. Mm. And there, there is, for me, there is no bad reason for being in business, yeah. you know? <laughs> so, you know, whatever, you know, people say, what, what is an entrepreneur? You know, does it have to be somebody that's trying to build a business? Is it somebody that creates jobs for other people? You know, for me, an entrepreneur is anybody that is completely self-sufficient in terms of, uh, in, in, in terms of, of creating their own wealth. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, you know that that is my definition of a, of an entrepreneur, and um, and and you know I, I often say to salespeople um, that I'm working with, usually in the bigger corporates, you know, would you work commission only? And they, you know, they'll spit out the tea or the coffee or whatever. But you know, absolutely not. And I go, well, <laughs> never, you know, never start your own business. Yeah, yeah, you know, if you have your own business, you you, you are commission only, commission only <laughs> yeah. because you know if we've got staff, you know you have to pay your staff, but you don't have to pay yourself. Yeah, and that's yeah. you know that's that's what happens. And uh, I met a few a few years ago. Um, I, I met a local business, and uh, the two guys that owned it uh, were paying themselves less than the two members of staff that they had. Right, and yeah. and they were um, and they were thinking about making those guys redundant. You know, mm. just to be able to pay. And so I gave them some free consultancy and, and sort of helped them. And we put their prices up and I got them sort of being a bit more proactive in the marketing. And, yeah. and they're, now, they're now doing brilliantly. You know, they that's have fantastic. grown, you know, into, into a really good small business. Uh, and, and that's where I get my kicks these days, Dan. It's, mm. uh, you know, it's more about seeing fledgling businesses grow. And if you mm. can have an influence in, in helping that, then, yeah. you know, that's, that's what gives me a purpose. Yeah, absolutely. No, it makes a lot of sense. And um, yeah, it seems like your approach is very much like a sort of giving mentality. Not, I don't mean working for free, but I mean like giving value and that, that's what builds the, the trust and everything that, that, you know, makes people want to work with you. Uh, yeah, I, I think it's always been, what say always been, certainly perhaps since the, the late 80s and my sort of disaster, I think one of the things that, that, that changed was for me, you know, it, I always think that if you do, if you do things to get, mm. yeah, then you don't usually get, yeah. but, you know, but, but if, but, but if you, uh, if you just, if you just give because it's the right thing to do, quite often you end up getting anyway. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so, so yeah, I, you know, if I, if I look at, um, you know, Worcestershire hour, I, I, I I've lost count of the amount of free talks that I've done. You know, when it first started, I would talk to anybody, Women's Institute, (laughs) anybody that would listen, I would go and talk to them about the benefits of social media and Twitter in particular to to help promote a business or a charity or whatever. Um, So I've done charity events where I've spoken and they've actually charged tickets for people to attend. But I reckon I've probably trained uh, or talked to, you know, well over a thousand people over the years. Mm. Um, But, but, you know, and I'm happy to do that. And, and the reason that I'm happy to do it is I've always maintained that I've never actually done a free talk because yeah. <laughs> you always seem to get something somewhere over time, you know, yeah, um, yeah. somebody chatting to somebody who mentions, or oh, you know, problems with my sales team. Oh, I met a guy once. Yeah. And it could have been talking about social media, but they, you know, they still learn what I do, yeah, you know, yeah, in my other yeah. business. So yeah, I, I think that uh, people that are generous with their time, tend to recoup that mm, so yeah. I, I think it's quite a good business strategy but it, you can't fake it no 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 <laughs> you know, absolutely. one of the things that <laughs> i often get asked is what makes a great salesperson and 
over the years, I've sort of tried to come up with different sort of ideas, but I honestly believe that it, it is people that have a genuine interest in other people and yeah. a genuine interest in business. Yeah. As a salesperson, we are taught to ask questions in order to uncover a customer's needs or their pain points or whatever, mm-hmm. and then pitch to, to meet that pain. Business owners, buyers have, you know, got to know that that is the tactic that salespeople are using. Yeah. So if you ask questions, if the other person thinks you're only asking those questions in order to move yourself further to that, that sale, mm. A, they won't answer them effectively. You know, they, yeah. they won't give you the real answer. Uh, and B, they probably won't buy from you anyway because they yeah. can see that you're trying to do a number on them. Yeah. yeah. So you have to... Excuse me, you have to be able to ask questions in a way that people can see that you are genuinely interested mm-hmm. in, in the answers. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I, I'm a big fan of the seven habits of highly effective oh, people yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, by yeah. Stephen Covey. <laughs> and, and all of those, all seven, are brilliant for salespeople and business yeah. owners. But habit number five is seek first to understand and then to be understood. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, people, salespeople, business owners, if you can really understand the person that you're talking to, really understand their business. Yeah. Um, and then the key trick is, is only to, excuse me, offer a solution to things that they've talked about. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Not everything that you offer. Because if you start offering everything that you offer, They'll start thinking, or oh, you're too big for me, or, or or you're trying to sell kind of thing. Yeah, you're trying to cross yeah. sell up sell. I, ne- I didn't ask for that. I, you know, I haven't got a need for that. Mm. But if you only offer things that are perfect, a perfect match for them, mm-hmm. then one, you're demonstrating listening, mm-hmm. and two, you you are um, you're clearly trying to add value to their business. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, and, and those are the, the the key things that that people have to do. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. Cause I, I just think about my own experiences and yeah, probably sometimes I'll maybe recommend product photography when they haven't necessarily asked for it. But I suppose there's other cases where they've come to me and said, you know, we want to revamp our website. We're thinking of doing a shoot around a factory or something. What do you think? And then I suppose at that point you've got the opportunity then to say, well, yeah, maybe if you've got your products photographed really nicely as well, yeah, that would work. I- Having said what I've said, when you've listened and you've understood, that's mm. not to say that you can't challenge their thinking. Okay. Right. Because just because the, the, you know, you are the expert in whatever you do. Yeah. Um, they're not. They're, they're, yeah. a, they're a different business. So you must challenge if it is appropriate to do so. Mm-hmm. And therefore, if, if somebody is making a decision that you fundamentally think is wrong or there is a way of doing it better, yeah. then part of that demonstration of expertise is to actually say, yes, you could do that. Yeah, yeah. But, and then have that conversation about what the alternatives might be. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. So it, it, it is always a challenge between giving them what they want, but giving them or giving them what's right for yeah, them. Yeah. Yeah. And, and <laughs> you could argue that a cynical salesperson will just simply make the sale based on what they want rather than have that, that sort of more complicated conversation about having to challenge the customer, which could get, you know, could bring you into conflict with that customer. Mm. I've, I've, I would say that um, if, you, if you are, uh, if you're selling a product or a service, if, if you're selling to a business that already has that service, mm-hmm. then you only have to make one sale. They've already bought into the idea that they should have um, a cloud computing. Mm-hmm. You know, they should be using cloud computing. Um, they've already bought into that because they're already using somebody's service. If you were selling cloud computing services, then you know they're already using cloud computing. All you've got to do is show how you can be better than the current provider. Yeah, yeah. If you go to a business that isn't yet using cloud computing, you've got to make two sales. You've got to sell them the idea of cloud computing in the first place. Then you've got to sell them the idea of doing it with you. And I've seen lots of situations where... People have won the first battle. Salespeople, businesses have won that first battle. Yeah. They've persuaded a business that they should change. They should be on cloud computing or whatever. But the person doesn't buy from them. Okay. And they don't buy from them because they've got into such an argument 
to prove each other's points <laughs> that the person's gone, right? But the guy's now thinking, yeah, I really should. He's right. I should. Yeah. I'm not doing it with him. Yeah. Yeah. Or her or whatever. You know, okay. and they, they then start looking around the marketplace, get some other people in. So all you've done is you've, you know, you've laid the, the way for a competitor to come in and pinch that business. Yeah. So uh, you've got to be careful because uh, people often say, um, it's easy for me to go after businesses that aren't yet using my type of service. Mm-hmm. And I go, no, that isn't always the case because <laughs> you've got to sell twice. Yeah, if you right, go after okay. businesses that are, are already using a similar service to yours, mm. all you've got to do is to prove that you are better, faster, cheaper, whatever your USPs yeah. are really. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. 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 So yeah. Looking at my own kind of case study, it's like you want people that have got some photography or video on the website, but you could, you know, you could improve it kind of thing. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Some uh, web designer was saying to me the other day that like, it's hard cause everyone's already got a website, but, I think what you're saying is that's great. Fantastic. <laughs> Everyone's got a website. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, okay. yeah, I like it. Cool. Well, we've been uh, we've been recording for 55 minutes. Wow, <laughs> time flies. Went pretty it? quick, didn't it? Um, uh, I wrote down a couple of things because I I went on your website and one of the things I really liked that you wrote was um, you trying to get people to obviously give you a call to you know talk about their needs and everything, and you said how I sell my services to you will give you a clear indication of what I teach, which I thought was just a really cool line yeah. to put on there. Cause it must be like, yeah, when you phone someone up, who's selling, selling, you're like, I'm going to get sold to. <laughs> I mean, when I went to work for that business, um, selling sales training, yeah. I suddenly realized this is the hardest job in selling because <laughs> yeah. you're ringing sales directors to sell sales training. You know, you are your product. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and uh, so, so yeah, the disciplines involved in, in doing that. Um, but, but yeah, I, I think it's, um, it, 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 but people buy from people, you know, you can't get away mm. from those old adages and um, you're more likely to sell to people if you can engage them in conversation. Mm-hmm. So I try to get, you know, wherever possible, get people to engage with me. Yeah, uh, yeah. And and then what I'm trying to, to say in that statement, Dan, is, you know, when you talk to me, I can demonstrate, you know, we just talked about seven habits of highly effective people, you yeah. know, seek first to understand, then to be understood. Yeah. Um, salespeople, everybody thinks are people that are great talkers, but yeah. actually no, you know, yeah. great salespeople are brilliant listeners. Yeah, yeah. Um, so if you can demonstrate listening. Yeah. And you can uh, really understand. And, and questioning is, is, is a real skill. When, when you ask, you're an interviewer, you know, you know these things. You, you ask a question, you get a first layer of information. Mm. And the trick is to, to be able to delve deeper, so mm. ask a subsequent question. And salespeople often think there can't be any dead air. So the moment the customer stops talking, <laughs> they have to have an answer. They, they have, have to have an answer to, uh, to, to that. And therefore, they're constantly rehearsing in their head what they're going to say. Okay. And that's yeah, a yeah. really dangerous thing to do because when you're rehearsing in your head, you're actually not listening effectively. You're multitasking. Yeah, you're trying to yeah. listen and create words at the same time. Mm-hmm. And I've done this. One of the reasons that I use a lot of video in my training courses is people will swear blind that the customer didn't say that or didn't do that. Yeah. And then yeah. you can play the tape back and they just, the jaw drops. And <laughs> I never heard that. Right. And that's yeah. where you can really get people to understand what I mean when I say, if you think about it, the bit that you missed was just before you came out with this line. You were thinking about creating that line. You weren't listening. And it's really difficult to not think. And I was, you know, I was trying to demonstrate that today in this interview is the trick is to listen to all of the question Mm -hmm. without trying to think what your response is going to be. Yeah. And then formulate your response after you've finished asking the question. And that's a really difficult thing to do, but, Anybody that's listening, I would advise them, you know, it's a great skill if you can do it. Yeah, well, I think you've demonstrated that very, very well. Because, yeah, the, I'm glad you've reminded me of the Seven Habits book because it was, um, that was kind of my first exposure to like the sort of personal development world. And it was when I was full-time at Airbus as an employee, went on a training course and we did a course based around that book. 
And I was just like, I was mind blown by it and I loved it. And I, I think, yeah, one of the things I think from that course, probably from the book is he said, um, you know, you've been given two ears and one mouth and you should use them in that ratio. <laughs> Absolutely. I, th- how long was that course? Uh, it was like over two days, I think. Yeah, I yeah. did exactly the same course. The, the training company that I was working for, we became a reseller for, for okay. Franklin Covey in the UK. Okay, yeah. Uh, and I was fortunate enough. I mean, it's a really expensive course. It's about £1,500 for I two bet, days. Yeah. Um, and I got to go on that course as well. I, yeah. I do find the the book itself um, is a bit evangelical, uh, obviously mm-hmm. American. I think some of the examples that they use to reinforce the points are a little over the top. Um, um, but if you just take the principles and the essence of the principles uh, of the habits, you know, yeah. you know, not just in business, they're just great guidelines to live by. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I loved it. It was, uh, it was excellent. So I have to reread that one. Do you know um, the other other one I was going to mention to you? Probably know the Go Giver books. You no, read those? Not okay, you will love those. Right. Okay. We'll talk about that afterwards. Fantastic. <laughs> yeah, no, they're brilliant. Um, well, that's been been fantastic. Thank you very much. Um, your website again is thesalesperformance.co.uk. Correct. You're on the LinkedIn's. Yeah. You're definitely on the Twitter. Definitely on Twitter. <laughs> and you're giving me a, tw- a Clubhouse handle as well. Yeah. Very modern. <laughs> I've just got into Clubhouse. You'd love it. Are you, are you on Clubhouse? I, I'm on it. Yeah. I just, I've just been put off by the amount of time that you need to spend on there. Really. Yeah. It, it, it is a bit addictive. Uh, I'm trying to be disciplined uh, about it. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, I've really got into Clubhouse. Yeah. Um, and uh, and I'm really looking forward to um, to to just seeing how how that develops obviously it's yeah. only on iphone at the moment uh so i think that is limiting its reach but uh yeah um, but we'll, we'll see They're it's interesting twitter it. are working on their own version yeah uh, oh yeah i saw that so, yeah, yeah. so again it depends on how that works if i can take my 80 odd thousand followers on twitter and mm. and that's part of of the their new radio app if you like then that would be useful but if i've got to start from scratch then um it'll depend on the functionality and reach so clubhouse may be may be better yeah uh, yeah no it's interesting i I did wonder about a kind of thriving three counties uh, clubhouse room or something be quite cool because i do a monthly meetup yep we do it on zoom now um thriving three counties and yeah i'd wonder about bringing that yeah, the, the the iPhone only thing is a bit of a, a limiting factor at the moment. You feel yeah. like you're kind of leaving well, could, a whole section. Of yeah, society but I could out. see I could see a um, you know a podcast room working really well, and you could invite guests that you've had on, and they could all yeah, be part yeah. of that. Yeah, so you're getting true. a little bit of what you've done on each podcast, but getting maybe one question asked by each of each of your previous guests or something like that. Yeah, that's a good yeah. idea. Yeah, yeah, I like it. Yeah, no, I, I went on a few times and. It was interesting, but some of the people that I was listening to were saying, yeah, I've been on this room for like 14 hours. And I was like, what? Yeah. <laughs> no, there's, there's obviously massive rooms that you get sort of real sort of um, uh, high flies. And, you know, Elon Musk is on there. Yeah, so lots of people yeah. are on there. I've actually found the better rooms are the ones with, uh, you know, even as few as sort of six to 10 people. Mm. Made some really good connections with um, with different people, um, and and had some great conversations. Um, yeah. But it's just about fitting it in around around other stuff. You know, I'm not commuting anywhere at the moment, so yeah. you know, <laughs> the, 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 most of us have got more time to do certain things. I'm just spending a little bit of time on Clubhouse, just sort of exploring yeah. it. The thing the thing with Twitter is, when I first came across Twitter, I never saw it as a social media. All right. I ever saw was the marketing opportunity for my business. Okay. No, right. now, you know, when I look at things like Clubhouse, I don't look at it and go, oh, here's a great way that I can, you think, how can I use yeah. this <laughs> yeah. for, for, for marketing purposes? Can it benefit my business? Yeah, and yeah. if the answer is no, then pretty soon I, you know, I've given up on Facebook, for example, for business, for my yeah, type yeah. of business, it just doesn't have any value. Yeah. Um, so you have to think about, you know, strategically, what are the right platforms for my business and, and, and go yeah. with those. You know? And I see you've, you've not given me a t- TikTok handle. No, not on TikTok. No. Um, who knows? Who knows? I, I, I did download the app, but you know, again, struggling to sort of really make it fit with the image uh, for the business, really. But but okay, so so if people um, come and connect with you on LinkedIn and Twitter, probably the best place, and then uh, if they're on Clubhouse. Yeah, so it's the same there. handle for for most of them. So it's at Stuart Allen FCMI. Excellent, excellent. Okay, well, 
Thank you very much. Thanks for coming down and, and sharing all that excellent information. It's great to hear your story. I love the way, you know, you, you've kind of gone back to working to do what you needed to do, but you've always had this eye on doing your own thing, I think, and, and finally taking the opportunity by the, by the horns uh, back in, was it 2012, and, uh, and gone for it. Yeah, I, th- I think my, my preference has always been to be self-employed. I, I think mm. most people don't like to be told what to do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Therefore, if you're running your own business, you've suddenly got, uh, you know, more autonomy. So, uh, so yeah, I think eight years, is, eight, nine years is probably the longest that I've ever, you know, really dedicated my, myself to something. And I think that's partly as you, as you get older and you mature, um, you start to realize, well, first of all, the years seem to fly by even quicker, <laughs> yeah, true, um, yeah. but, but, but also you, you, you start to realize that, that to make success of something, you have to stick at it yeah. um, and, you know, getting bored because things are getting a bit tricky isn't, isn't really the entrepreneurial <laughs> way, is it? But thanks for inviting me and I've really enjoyed being here. No, it's a pleasure. Thanks a lot, Stuart. Bye-bye. Thank you. You've been listening to the Thriving Three Counties podcast with me, Dan Barker. You can find links to all the episodes and show notes over at danbarkerstudios.com forward slash podcast. If you've enjoyed today's show, please head over to iTunes and leave us a review. It helps other people find the show and connect more people in the region. Thank you very much for your time listening. I hope you've enjoyed it and we'll see you next time.